Right, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this talk sponsored by the Institute of World Politics. My name is Sean Honesty, and I serve as an events coordinator here at the school, as well as a recent graduate of one of our MA programs. For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security, intelligence, and international affairs. We offer a doctoral program, seven master's degree programs, including two online MAs, and 18 certificates of graduate study. If you are all interested in learning more about us, please feel welcome to grab myself or another staff member. We are wearing our name tags, the gold name tags around, at the conclusion of the event, or visit us at iwp.edu. To support the work of IWP, please visit us at iwp.edu forward slash donate. Again, that is iwp.edu forward slash donate. And before we begin tonight, I'd like to remind everybody to silence all electronic devices, and if you are able to move towards the center of your row to better accommodate anybody that may enter uh, later during the event. Today we'll be hearing from Mr. Mohamed Motuala, who will deliver a lecture entitled, The Role of Multilateral Cooperation in Shaping AI Governance. Mohamed Motuala is a career member of the U.S. Foreign Service. He is currently in the Cyberspace and Digital Policy Bureau, covering the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, and the Global Partnership on AI. Mr. Motuala's most recent assignment was a graduate program at the National Intelligence University where he focused on Eurasia. Prior to that, he was an analyst focusing on Russia in the Bureau of Intelligence and Research, which serves as the State Department's component of the intelligence community. His last overseas assignment was an assistant cultural affairs officer in Kyiv, Ukraine. His other overseas assignments were in Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Lebanon. Prior to joining the Department of State, Mr. Motowala worked as a hedge fund analyst at MTV Capital in New York City. Mr. Motowala has also earned a BS in economics from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania and an MS in strategic intelligence from the National Intelligence University. With that, please welcome Mr. Mohamed Motowala. Thank you, Sean. And thank you, the Institute of World Politics, for having me here. Uh, I'm very excited about this, this discussion, uh, this, 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 this conversation. Um, before I talk about the role of multilateral cooperation in artificial intelligence governance and, and why I'm so excited about AI and optimistic about it, uh, maybe I'll be useful to get a little bit more about myself and kind of you know, repeat a little bit of what, what Sean talked about, my background, and why I'm here. Um, I'm going to talk about how indirectly you know, Vladimir Putin is actually responsible for me being here today talking about AI. Yeah, it, it's an interesting story. So as Sean mentioned, I graduated from the University of Pennsylvania. I was actually a senior in college on 9-11, and it really changed the trajectory of my life and what I wanted to do. Um, because of that, I, I joined the State Department of the Foreign Service, and this was during the global war on terrorism. So my first, assignment, my, my first assignments were Islamabad, Beirut, and Kabul. And then 2014 happened, Russia's initial invasion of Ukraine. I was like, want to take on the Russians. Uh, I was on the Ukraine desk here in, in, in DC, learned Russian, uh, went to Kyiv from 2016 to 2018. Uh, from there, I tried to go to Russia, to embassy Moscow, uh, but I couldn't get in. I, I, the Russians wouldn't give me a visa. Um, so I ended up back in DC in INR as a Russia analyst. And that's when I heard Vladimir Putin say, whoever controls AI will control the world. And this man might be a maniacal dictator, war criminal, but he wasn't, he's not stupid. And I was like, if he thinks this is so important, I have to start you know, reading up about it. Um, and then I ended up reading a really great book by Kai Fuli called AI Superpowers and did some other research. And I really began to realize the, the revolutionary impact of this technology, how this is going to affect you know, all aspects of our lives, from, from economics to social, cultural, national security. And that's kind of what got me into, into this position that I'm in currently encumbering. I'm part of the new Cyberspace and Digital Policy Bureau at the State Department. And as Sean said, I serve as the U.S. Delegate to the OECD's Committee on Digital Economy Policy, which, which covers you know, AI governance. And I also am the lead for the Global Partnership on AI, because I truly believe this, this is a transformative technology, and this is something that the United States alone can't lead on, and we have to work with partners and allies uh, to ensure that we maximize the benefits and minimize the potential risks for our people. So with that said, I'll, I'll get up, you know, I'll start off our, our lecture, 
and, and give a brief overview of, of what AI is, why the State Department thinks it's important, and talk about things like the OECD, uh, the Council of Europe, uh, UNESCO, the, e, the uh, UN, and how they all have kind of roles in AI. Enjoy this whole part. Uh, I'd love to take questions. And also, again, I want to take, I want to actually get repulsive from people, from students here in the audience, and, and see how they view AI and how they're using AI. It helps inform me and, and the rest of the State Department uh, of how people are thinking about these, this, this amazing technology. So, uh, so, um, so uh, you know, first of all, I don't want to get too technical. You know, you can say AI is a branch of computer science, and, and people will quibble of, you know, what's the recent developments is in this AI, it's machine learning, deep learning. But to give a, a, a baseline and talk about an AI definition, we define an AI system as a, a machine-based system that can, for a given set of human objectives, make predictions, recommendations, or decisions influencing real or, or virtual environments. So whether it's, it's a recommendation on a Netflix uh, for what to watch, uh, a decision on, on credit scores, um, even on, on mapping on Google Maps, these all use different types of AI. Um, and so you see this ubiquity in, in kind of all parts of our life right now, and it's only going to be increasing as time goes by. So why is the International Affairs Agency, the U.S. State Department, interested in AI? Uh, because it is the center of global technological competition. Um, there are many, many risks and, and benefits. Um, and so for the State Department, we see this as a foundational technology that's going to be influencing foreign affairs and geopolitical competition. And it's incumbent upon us to work with partners and allies to ensure these technologies, again, are, are based on human rights, on, on fundamental freedoms, on democracy, uh, and, and they're, they're used to, again, as President Biden has said, lift people up instead of, instead of keep people down. Because you do see examples of AI being misused for repression, for surveillance, for really weakening democracy. And we as the U.S. government, as the United States, are committed to ensure these technologies are actually used for, to promote uh, uh, democracy and our, our respect human rights. And, and below is a quote by, by my boss, uh, uh, Secretary Blinken, who says, you know, a global technology, global technological revolution is underway. The world's leading powers are racing to develop and deploy new technologies like artificial intelligence and quantum computing that could shape uh, everything about our lives, where we get our energy, how we do our jobs, how wars are fought. Uh, we want to maintain America. Maintain, we want America to maintain our scientific and technological edge because it's critical, critical for us to thrive in the 21st century. Again, I mean. Uh, we were discussing earlier, before this lecture, uh, the CEO of OpenAI, the creator of, of ChatGPT, was, was giving testimony on the House yesterday or in Congress um, on the importance of AI. And you see how relevant it is and how it's, it's, it's now becoming part of the national discourse and, 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 and questions on how we're going to approach and regulate and govern this, 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 this technology. So with that said, you know, our focus, the U.S. government, you know, when we're talking about multilateral cooperation, we're really focusing right now on the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. This was started, this OECD is based in Paris, and it was, it was founded after World War II. If you want to think of NATO as, as, the, as, as the, the alliance for military issues, this is kind of the, the center and, 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 and organization for economic issues. Um, it has 38 democracies, open economies, um, and, and they provide an analysis and, and a forum to develop policies to improve people's lives. Um, as as this, the second slide says, point says, you know, the OECD members account for three-fifths of world GDP uh, and, and three-quarters of world trade. Why we're, we're really a, a big proponent of this is not only because it has a membership of like-minded democracies. It has a very strong, capable secretariat, and also it's able to convene different stakeholders. So this issue of, of artificial intelligence, to get it right, to be able to govern it properly, it's not just about governments, and it's not just technologists that have to be in the room. This really has to be a multi-stakeholder, a multidisciplinary approach, where we have governments, we have, we have civil society, we have industry, we have academics, and we have people from whether it's, you know, technologists, lawyers, ethicists, economists, national security professionals, they all have to be in the room and be a part of the discussion. 
to understand the different perspectives and impacts these technologies can have. So the OECD in 2019, you know, we had agreement on, on, a, on a landmark intergovernmental agreement of a recommendation on AI, which the United States was, was a leading proponent and advocate of. Um, and the recommendation had basically 10 principles, uh, five value-based principles and four, five recommendations. And so you see these, these, these kind of principles in many other documents. The, the, the OECD was one of the leading and first ones to, to, to adopt them. And, and the five ones are, you know, inclusive growth, sustainable development, and well-being to make sure that, that uh, this is used, again, to, to improve people's lives and that it's sustainable. Um, number two is, is human-centric and fairness. You do see systems, sometimes AI systems, you know, embedding bias. And we don't want to perpetuate these. So, so new systems that are developed want to make sure that they're fair, uh, that they think about the human that it impacts and, and how it's going to affect them. You want transparency and explainability. Some of the critiques of some of these AI systems that they're kind of black boxes that you can't figure out why an AI decided what it did. And, and so to promote trustworthiness, to, for us as people to have confidence in these AI systems, uh, we want them to be transparent. We want them to be explainable. Um, then you have robustness, security, and safety. So we want the AI system to do what we want it to do and not do what we don't want it to do or do something else. Um, this is a key component of AI since sometimes in earlier systems were very brittle. Um, and so for, for us to be, have, have, have trust in them, this will be used trustworthy AI a lot because we want to have a, a, a certain confidence that these systems are working as they're doing. Uh, they're, not, they're not discriminating against us and, and they're being used for good. And, and the, the final is, is accountability. When AI goes wrong, you know, who's going to be held accountable? Uh, and, and the AI system can, accountability can go throughout the entire development cycle, whether it's uh, the people who are programming it, the people who are designing it, or people who are deploying and using it. Uh, there has to be kind of human accountability in this process. And then along with these five principles, there's five policy recommendations that governments ought to, to look at when, when developing strategies and policies and implementing AI. Um, you know, one is investing in, in you know, AI research and development. The United States is pretty good. We have, we have you know, organizations like the National Science Foundation that are, that are leading in, in investing in AI, um, fostering the digital ecosystem for AI. So this just doesn't mean the technology itself. It's, it's, it's kind of all parts of the ecosystem, the rules and regulations, the workforce, um, how it interacts with, with other parts of the economy. Again, the, the entire ecosystem is important to make sure that we, we develop the, or we are able to garner the most benefits from AI. Uh, shaping and enabling policy uh, uh, environment for AI. Um, we know there's going to be regulation governance, and, and I think Sam Altman yesterday talked about, and some industries kind of welcome that. Uh, but we also don't want to stifle innovation. So the idea is to, to minimize the risks and maximize the benefits. And then building human capacity and preparing a labor market transformation. Uh, many economists and, 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 and think tanks uh, foresee this having uh, profound change in, in the economy and in the workforce, uh, potentially uh, shifting jobs. Um, and, and in the past, you've had technological progress where, where certain jobs were eliminated and new jobs were created. So there was a certain statistic that I've read that 60% of jobs weren't around in 1940. So in 75 years, 60% of the jobs that are currently exist didn't exist. We didn't have influencers. We didn't have people who photovoltaic installers uh, or, or, or network security specialists. So, you know, the labor market evolves, but some people say this is a little bit different. This time there might actually be displacement. So we want to make sure we train the workforce to, to not only equip to be able to use AI properly, but, but people who might be affected to be able to potentially find new ways to, to contribute. And then international cooperation for trustworthy AI. I guess it's kind of what I do. Uh, no, no, island, no country is an island by themselves. Uh, we, we, you know, we don't want, we don't want is, is kind of regulatory fragmentation where each country does something different on AI and then we can't cooperate and talk to another. Uh, you know, so the idea of cooperation is, is, is key 
And this is what we do at the OECD. This is what we do through the Global Partnership on AI. This is what we're doing in other forums, the Freedom Online Coalition, uh, to the International Atomic Communications Union, and other venues. Uh, the idea is, is working with like-minded democracies um, to make sure that, that we all take, make benefit, take benefit of this. So a little bit more on the OECD, and, and I'm a little partial because, again, I serve as a delegate there. Uh, I just came back from Paris last week. I've been there uh, several times. This is, again, a, a very uh, robust, uh, um, flexible organization uh, that, you know, why I am so committed to it is, like I said, not only of its membership, uh, but its ability to draw diverse stakeholders. So we, we support the, the Working Party on AI governance. This is our, our the U.S.'s preferred venue for having these, these discussions. So a few weeks ago, there was a working party on AI governance. The, the talk was, was, was generative AI, was chat GPT, what is going to be our global approach? Um, what are the risks? What are the opportunities? Um, as, as we're kind of navigating this uncharted territory, um, this is the place where we're focusing a lot of our attention. Um, and, and we support it because, well, I mean, the US leads but one of the reasons we support it is we have a wide interagency uh, participation in this. It's not just the State Department that's involved in AI. It's almost every part of our, of our government. Uh, we have Commerce Department, uh, the White House, and NIST, the National Science Foundation, at the FTC, FCC, and a lot of other different agencies who are participating in this. And the same thing can be said at the OECD. It's not just their foreign ministries that are participating. They're also bringing along their, their kind of interagency counterparts, um, as well as people from academia, labor, civil society, all these different stakeholders that have a voice and an interest in making sure that global AI governance is done right. Um, and the, the, let's say the, the, the critique of, of the OEC sometimes is it's a rich club, you know, it's a club of, of rich countries, and it's mostly 30, 30 uh, developed economies, but the OEC is able to have partnerships with emerging economies. So in these discussions, we have countries like Brazil, India, Singapore, and Egypt who contribute and, and who participate. Because again, you know, uh, the Secretary has, has framed this weird, you know, a, a kind of competition with, with the, the People's Republic of China, the PRC. There are places where we're gonna cooperate, uh, there are places where we're gonna compete, uh, and there's places where there's gonna be you know, uh, a confrontation. Um, and in this competition, technology is key, and it's gonna be between like-minded democracies and, and countries that have different values on how to utilize these, these, uh, these technologies. But I'll, you know, are there any questions so far? I, I don't want to go through the old thing. If someone has a question, please feel free to raise your hand. Um, so complementing the OEC is, is the Global Partnership on AI. Um, this also seeks to have a multi-stakeholder approach. Uh, this was launched in, in two, 2020. Uh, by the G7, we were a founding member, but it was kind of led by Japan, sorry, by Canada and France. Um, its secretary is housed at the OECD, but it, it is different. Um, it has, uh, I forgot now, 29 uh, countries. Uh, many are OECD, but some aren't, including India, Serbia, um, uh, Singapore. Um, they have four working groups, uh, Responsible AI, uh, Data Governance, the Future of Work, and innovation commercialization, because again, AI is 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 part of everything that we're kind of doing in, in the world, in the economy, national security. It's affecting labor force. So there's different working parties on on analyzing and seeing what the impacts are going to be, and providing recommendations and how governments and societies can best approach it and, and governance. Sure. Not all the countries are there because it's supposed that the ones that are describing OECD is those that can sign that they are going to follow the AI, the AI regulations that they propose. However, one thing is designed and all that is implemented. And there are a lot of projects probably needs to be a little bit of faith because I know that there are some countries that are not there and that either in the past months just have already implemented, which is different. Very good point. So, so there's one thing that to, to sign up to a recommendation and, and say that, or you want to implement it. So with the OECD recommendation, I will make two points. Number one, um, there are more countries in, 
there are not just OECD countries adhere to it. So these legal instruments, but they're not actually legal binding instruments, they're called legal instruments, um, they can be more than just OECD countries adhere to it. So you have that with the recommendation on AI, countries like Ukraine, countries like Brazil. Uh, but the key is implementation. This was started in 2019. What uh, the OECD did uh, about a few months ago was, was launch a catalog for tools for, for, for measuring uh, and metrics for trust with the AI. AI. So what are the measures? What are the technical measures? What are the socioeconomic uh, policies? What are the regulations governments and companies can do to facilitate and promote trust with AI? Because it's not just about you know, adhering to a certain uh, a piece of paper. It's about, it's about being on the ground and actually implementing it. And that is going to, it's a challenge that we're all working on it. Uh, but the OECD is also developing the, the action plan to be able to do that. Um, so uh, th there's two uh, uh, NGOs, one in Montreal, one in, in Paris, Simia and Enria, that, that help facilitate uh, uh, the global partnership on AI. But again, this is just w another venue. We don't foresee there being one place where we're going to be having all these discussions. There's so many issues to discuss. Uh, there's so many stakeholders. There are going to be different parts, and, and, and GPA pays one role. Uh, we have a question in the back. Yes. Uh, there are discussions underway, obviously, about the possibility of some kind of international entity like CERN or whatever else. Um, also, the recommendation on ethics that was passed by UNESCO in 2021, which of course 193 members signed on to, I mean, the issue is always enforcement, etc. And of course, the U.S. was removed from UNESCO by, uh, by President Trump in 2018. So I mean, we're emphasizing, and I used to uh, head the OECD here in the U.S., so I appreciate all the nice things you're saying about it. But uh, on the possibility, I uh, hope that the U.S. will return to UNESCO, uh, is there not the interest uh, where you have both north-south and not just small D democracies committed to uh, these ethical questions. And there are, I know, work being done on national plans with a number of countries that have signed on. So I'm just curious about your comments uh, and your thoughts about UNESCO. Absolutely. And I'm not sure if I should have asked for a, 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 a mic for that, because I don't hear. Uh, and if you have a question again, it's a, yeah, and I, I'm perfectly, perfectly comfortable having these questions in between. Um, yes, so, so I was going to get to it later on, but yes, I think I have a slide. Uh, UNESCO uh, is, is a UN organization based in Paris. Uh, we were removed, we left UNESCO uh, in 2019, but you are very right that, they, that their recommendation um, was, was uh, adopted uh, last year, and it has a broader membership than the OEC. 2021, yes, yes. Um, you know, we, we welcome uh, different multi-stakeholder initiatives on, on AI ethics. Um, and, you know, because we weren't a member of UNESCO, we didn't have a, a, an ability to sensibly negotiate the document. Uh, but we view it as a complement to the OECD. And the OECD, yes, yes, but we, we didn't have substantive uh, input. Um, we see it as a complement to, to the OECD and what they're doing. And you're right, in, 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 in some of the things that I've, because I don't cover uh, UNESCO, but you know, learning about it, what UNESCO does well is capacity building, and we need these in, in developing countries. Um, UNESCO and OECD work together complementarily, um, and we, we, we welcome that. We also know the UNESCO recommendation, you know, uh, uh, was was you know called on here not to use social scoring or mass surveillance, and so we hope all countries that, that adhere to that adhere to those those, those, those calls. Um, there are calls, sorry, in addition, um, whether it's UNESCO or the UN, we are still trying to figure out avenues and mechanisms for these non-OECD countries to be part of these conversations, but it is, because it is important. And they've been calling on wanting to not be left behind. Um, and so there are calls, there, there are different talks at the, at the UN and other places that also have a more expansive uh, membership, um, and we're participating in this. Absolutely. Again, like I said, I don't think it's going to be only one place where we're going to have all these conversations. Um, it's just one of them right now is at the OECD, and I am a little partial to it. 
so the G7 also, uh, it's, it's leading democracies uh, underpinned by, by sure values. Uh, I believe the president will be heading to, to Tokyo uh, in a few days um, uh, for, for the G7 summit. But the G7 has been talking about AI for the past seven, eight years. Uh, the first was in 2016. Um, it was actually the in 2020, the G7 launched the Global Partnership on AI. Uh, there was a, a digital and tech ministerial um, about two weeks ago um, in Japan as well. And the ministerial statement, um, they discussed the importance of AI, internet of AI, and working in, in, on it, uh, calling them on the OECD and GPA to further develop uh, uh, plans. But again, another forum where we're talking about AI. Um, G20 um, also has discussed AI. They basically, I want to say, copied the, the OECD principles, uh, but took heavily from the OECD principles in, in their introduction of AI. Um, as you know, uh, membership right now has, has countries that make it somewhat difficult to have robust conversations on, on artificial intelligence. Uh, but this is another venue in which, which AI you know, discussions are, are happening. Um, and now, because the past few months, it's, it's taken over by, you know, taken over um, almost every international organization has some type of discussion on AI. Um, another one is the Freedom Online Coalition. This is a multi-stakeholder initiative of 36 like-minded countries. Uh, this is to support more freedom on the internet and protect human rights both online and offline. The U.S. is a chair right now. Um, and there is a task force on artificial intelligence and human rights, uh, the impact on, on AI, making sure that, that it doesn't, uh, uh, that they respect uh, AI and it's not used in ways uh, that repress fundamental freedoms and human rights. Again, here we have a membership that is, is quite broad uh, and quite similar to, to, the, to the OECD. Um, again, I will, I will talk about why you know, the OECD is kind of our preferred because it's not just the membership, it's also having the infrastructure to do evidence-based research, to have technical expertise some of this is really, really complicated. Um, I don't want to say that any organization or company can write principles, but as much as like, how do you implement them and how do you decide how to implement them and have standards? Um, you, need, you need technical competence, you need expertise, uh, and, and few places have it like the OECD. But again, it's, it's, it's important to have these conversations and, and have you know, different groups talk about it because not only one country can do it. What we don't want is, is fragmented policies and regulations where I think the, the, the good analogy is, you know, when you take your, your electric, you, when you travel abroad and you have to like plug in your phone, depending on the country you go to, you have to use a different socket. And it's really kind of inconvenient, same with using your phone. Um, we want it to be kind of interoperable, where if you have an AI system in one country, it, it more or less you know, is able to work in another country. And if companies are developing products and tools of AI, um, you, know, you want them to have, have similar regulatory procedures that they have to go through um, so they can deploy it widely in, instead of having it, you know, different country by country. And we recognize that each country, based on their history, their values, their culture, is going to approach AI regulation differently. And that's fine. We want to make sure there's kind of commonalities because where, where the base is, is, is interoperable. Uh, it, it's going to be good for innovation. It's going to be good for the economy. And, and someone mentioned back there, uh, you know, the U.S. system is also looking at, at, at AI in different ways. You had UNESCO, uh, the recommendation of AI ethics. Um, the International Telecommunication Union, which we elected Doreen Bogdan Martin last year, a U.S. Uh, citizen, um, is also looking at, at AI. Um, and you have the U.N. Tech Envoy. They're developing a digital uh, compact right now. Um, this is kind of in the early stages. The, the, one of the talk envoys assistants talked about yeah, just uh, two days ago. What they're actually going to be developing is this still under progress, but this is another venue in which, which conversations are happening on AI. And as, as the questioner asked yesterday, or, sorry, earlier, you know, for all, for all the, the good the OECD does, and it is, it is still 39 members. There are over 180 countries, 190 countries. Uh, want to make sure those other countries are brought into the conversation, have a say, uh, are heard and have an ability to, to shape how we develop these processes and policies and, and, and governance. Um, 
So these are all part. These are all these these institutions are all part of of the UN system, um, and are all having playing their their own little role uh, on AI. Um, this is another uh, venue in which which AI is being discussed. This is the Council of Europe, the Committee on AI. Right now, this is actually going to be right now. The negotiations are coming underway, and this will be the first binding international convention on AI. So, as I mentioned, with the OECD recommendation AI, there are non-binding agreements. It's not a legal, it's not a treaty uh, 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 instrument. Right now, at the Council of Europe, there are certain negotiations going on. This would be binding for for the use of governments and how they use AI, um, and this would be a binding. Uh, a set of principles, uh, legal instruments. Um, the, the goal is to make sure these systems again respect human rights, democracy, and the human and, and, and the rule of law. Uh, we have colleagues right now in Strasbourg going through these negotiations, uh, so we'll see how they go. But again, uh, it's a testament to how important so many different international organizations see the role of AI and its potential impact, and, and want to make sure they're ahead of the curve and, and ensure that these number one and respect uh, democracy and fundamental human rights, and then also promote innovation and minimize risks. Uh, with that said, the U.S. also is, is, is doing its part to encourage you know, emerging economies to be part of the conversation. We, we, this is a program, AI Connect, uh, the U.S. sponsors, which is to empower you know, low and middle income countries to more effectively participate and engage these conversations. Um, you know, we have webinars, workshops, and, and, and global conference supports. Um, there's going to have you know, online virtual meetings, but a lot of these, these, these work gets done in the room, um, and it's, it's sometimes hard for them to even travel. So we provide travel funding, we provide webinars, training. Um, the idea is, is to encourage responsible use of trustworthy AI, again, in line with the OECD principles. Um, and, and I forgot to mention, so with the OECD principles, even things domestically, what we do here in the United States, I'm with the State Department Focus internationally, the U.S. is doing a lot of stuff here. Number one, I would recommend going to www.ai.gov to see the latest of what's going on. But a lot of, this, a lot of the, the policies and regulations and governance approaches that we're having, including the NIST, the, the National Institute for Standards and Technology, their AI risk management framework, uh, takes inspiration from the OECD principles, uh, as does the, the White House blueprint for a bill of, uh, bill of AI, AI Bill of Rights. Um, again, inspiration from from the OECD principles. Um, and then there's also again a lot of other institutions and organizations uh, that are are looking at AI, studying it, um, whether it's IEEE, it is kind of standards. Um, APEC, the World Economic Forum. Um, we'll probably be seeing a lot of that going in the next few years, again, because there's so much interest. I don't want to say there's hype before there's like more hype, more there, there is a real a realization uh, to the profound impact this is going to have. And so you'll have different bodies that will be discussing it and, and, and studying it. So that's the end of, of, of my, 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 my slide. Uh, you know, the, the emphasis that I want to put on again, the U.S. is leading in AI. We have some of the, the, the most leading companies, uh, the universities, uh, research labs, uh, but this is not something that we can do alone uh, because of, of the global nature, because how you're going to find AI to be ubiquitous in so many different places, uh, and, and because when you have weak links, they can, they can manifest and affect other countries, this is something that we have to work together with, with partners and allies uh, to ensure, again, the responsible use of trustworthy AI. So with that said, I, I want to leave a lot of time for, for questions, and, and then I have some questions for, for people in the audience or just in general to figure out, get a pulse of what people are thinking uh, on AI. You know, are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? How are you using it? Uh, it gives me a better sense of the issues that you know, we need to think about when we're the government developing our own policies. Let's give a round of applause to Mr. And if anybody does have a question, I do have a mic to pass around, so just raise your hands and I'll come to you. Don't be shy. <laughs> it's all right. Well, thank you so much for your presentation. Um, it was truly enlightening. Um, I'm originally from Russia, and uh, 
given your interests and work focused the previous focus on Russia, I'd like to ask you a question about that. Um, none of the list that we showed showed this today, um, including Russia, because Russia has stepped down from many of the international cooperation agreements, etc. Um, considering the significant amount of work that has been done there on AI, how do you see that trajectory developing? Um, where do you see Russia is going in terms of AI and um, you know the lack of cooperation that has been recently there? I think it's a little out of my experience right now because I don't follow it anymore. But I mean, our, our focus on Russia right now is in the Soviet AI development. This mission truly really stopped this horrible, brutal, illegal war uh, against Ukraine. Um, unless and until they do that, I find it to be very hard to imagine uh, they're being welcomed back in these, these conversations. No, there should be. Um, so, I mean, what Vladimir Putin is doing to his own countries is, is likely weakening it not just on AI, on just economic, technological progress for the short and, and medium and long term. Um, so, unless they have the reverse course, um, I, I don't see much development in that sphere or many other spheres. Great, thank you. Well, since since you are now working in the cyber area related to Russia and Ukraine and all this, how what is the what is your involvement in AI with cyber? Because I understand there is also a lot of positive and negative sides of using AI. Cyberball, cyberspace, cybersecurity. Yeah. So, so in your area that you are not tackling, what what is what AI has to do? How do you involve AI with cyber? Uh, which field are you working with in that area? So I I am not working in that field. That's kind of a, a technical issue. I, I do more kind of cooperation. But you are right. Kind of AI is is kind of you know hypercharging the, the cyber domain. Uh, making it potentially harder uh, to, to protect against cyber intrusions, making it easier to create malware. Uh, these are all issues that AI is having an impact on. Um, and so it, it just kind of emphasizes the importance of this technology and making sure that if we're going to protect against AI-powered cyber intrusion, that we do with, with partners and allies, then we have good cooperation. Outstanding presentation. Mine's, mine's more of a question, I guess, organizationally. What is state doing, uh, and are you working a lot with our intelligence agencies, especially within this, this vector? Uh, AI is so important to the intelligence agencies for the massive amounts of data that they're, they're trying to process. Do you set side saddle with them? What states, how are you guys working with intelligence? Sure. Uh, I mean, so yeah, this is one of the reasons why the State Department created this new cyberspace and digital policy bureau. We were set up only last year was to elevate the importance of, of cyberspace and digital issues within the interagency and, and the international environment. I myself am not working in it. Working, we have my, my colleagues. So we're, our bureau is led by Ambassador Nathan Fick, who was our ambassador at large, and he regularly meets people within the the the, the interagency, including the intelligence community, on these issues. Uh, we were part of, of, you know, writing and releasing the National Cybersecurity Strategy, which is kind of a whole-of-government approach. Uh, and he and, and some of his people in my, in my bureau have, have regular contact with people within the, throughout the IC uh, and other parts, including DHS, CISA, um, on these issues because it is, it is critical. Yes. Great. Thank you. Um, let's roll up uh, China. They don't seem to be involved in multilateral means of limiting themselves, yet they are a major uh, influencer in the AI field. They are. I mean, this is, you know, it, I've said that one of the things that, that kind of motivated me to get in this book, this is people, is I read a book by Kai Fuli called AI Superpowers. And China is an advanced in, in AI. They've made no, no, they didn't hit their ambitions on, on being a world leader on AI technologies. Uh, in some areas, some experts say they're even ahead. Um, so this is a competition. Um, we are trying to rally our like-minded allies and partners who share our values 
on these and to make sure they develop uh, responsibly. I'm not sure if the PRC is doing that because I'm not sure they're their allies and partners who you know that they have these shared values with. Um, oh, I think they provide an example sometimes in certain instances of where we don't want this technology to be. We don't want it to use to oppress our people. Uh, um, we don't want it to for mass surveillance. Um, but the question is also like, where do we cooperate? There are areas where we need to cooperate with China. Some of the, so again, one of the reasons why I'm very optimistic about AI is because when we have these huge global challenges like climate change, you know, it's gonna take AI to help find new, new materials. It's gonna take AI to help uh, regulate the grid so we can use more renewable energy. Um, how do we cooperate with the PRC and other countries on these shared common global problems? Um, that's gonna be an, an interesting challenge. Uh, thank you for this talk. Uh, you touched on the impact that AI can have on the global workforce. Wondering how those conversations are playing out in OECD and other uh, multilateral conversations about how to plan for and prepare for the potentially massive impact that it'll have. Yeah, I mean, great question. So these are just kind of nascent issues that are, that are percolating. And so right now, what we're doing with the OECD place is like asking the question, like, what are going to be issues and what do we need to think about? So one is like skills uptraining, you know, making sure that people have the ability to use these tools. They say things like prompt engineering is one of the most important skills uh, of the 21st century. Um, and also like understanding what, where is the impact right now kind of happening um, because of AI. So I'll just give you kind of three examples that I've heard in the news recently that you can see that this is having an impact on, on, on the workforce. We have the educational company Chegg, which I think is its market dropped like about around 50% after it announced during an earnings call that it's seeing you know, people using chat GPT instead of its own products and it's affecting its, its potential growth rate. Um, you have the CEO of IBM who said that the, the rate of growth of new job hires is going to slow as they analyze which jobs they can automate in the future. Uh, you also have right now a, a strike in Hollywood of writers and one of the contentions they're talking about is you know how are they going to be affected or compensated by 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 generative AI? If, if a Hollywood studio uses an AI to write 90% of a script, how is that going to affect their their pay? Um, so you see right now kind of percolating. I think we're in the really early early innings to see how this plays out. Um, but right now it is it is on the top of the mind. It's something that we are looking at. The OECD had a conference about two months ago, um, kind of overviewing this. Uh, and, and trying to suss out again what are the areas where it's going to impact and what can governments do to ensure that it, it minimizes the disruption uh, and improves the economy and improves loss. So at the same, it's going to create trillions of dollars of wealth. So we want to make sure that this wealth is is you know it's not it's not concentrated just a few people. Um, Thank you so much. Um, just to kind of follow along with that, you know, in the United States, so much of our AI development is in the private sector, and it moves very quickly, usually probably even faster than what we can keep up with in government. So just to kind of follow along, you know, the State Department have any partnerships with the private sector to kind of gauge you know, how quickly we can move in that space so it's not going too fast in certain areas. And, uh, and I have a second part just to say, uh, if, there's, if you have like maybe one or two, um, you know, uh, what you think are the most disruptive AI Technologies on the horizon that may you know disrupt you know, our OECD partnerships because we hear about lethal autonomous weapon systems. Uh, we hear about you know, um, gene therapy and some other things. So um, yeah, just in your opinion, what are the two main things that could be kind of threat to some of our partnerships? Sure. So your first question: the, the State Department, U.S. government, are are you know I want to say partnering. We talked to, to, to the leading AI companies, technology firms, to understand what they're doing. Um, I would say I'm actually kind of surprised the State Department. We're doing a really good job in trying to figure out how we can implement AI within our own workforce in a way that's rights-preserving, privacy-preserving, but enhances our, our, our ability to do our job. Um, it is slow to get the U.S. government to adopt any new technologies. I think one of the challenges is we gotta, gotta overcome that inertia, but I think there's a recognition amongst many parts within the government that we don't wanna be too slow on this. Insofar as what are the AI technologies that I most 
I'll say conservative. The one that I'm most kind of excited about, honestly, would be AlphaFold 2 that came about two years ago by DeepMind. It's to understand how proteins fold. Uh, I'm not a biologist, and I was reading only about it after this, this program came out, but before you know, there was talks about it would take a PhD student, their entire PhD, to, to figure out how one protein unfolded. Um, and that can be done now like in 20 minutes by an AI program. And this can be, you know, this, this development can be, can be instrumental in finding new drugs and new therapies. I think that's very, very exciting. I'm also excited about uh, autonomous vehicles, AVs. You know, there, there are statistics that about 1.5 million people are killed every year on the roads because of traffic accidents. And it's because of the four Ds of, of why we have accidents. You know, drinking, drowsiness, driver distraction, and driver error. And estimates are that if you can have even 50% of, of vehicles on the road that are autonomous, you can reduce that, that figure, that mortality rate, by 90%. That's really, really exciting. So those are kind of like the real positive benefits of AI that I could see. And also, I don't like to drive or park. So if you just like have someone, a car, just do it all for me, like that's fantastic. We are going to be in that stage. Believe me, it will have autonomous cars. No way. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, well we, my topic is expertise, not this area. But uh, regarding the climate change, I just wanted to give a comment that let's not forget that climate change, and AI is one of the big polluters right now because the human is capable of doing that he's given that it requires gargantuan amount of power, the computer power, the chips, and everything to be able to process. Because remember that AI is all about data. Without data, there is no AI. So because of that, now we have to think about how we're going to now counteract the effect of the pollution of AI. And as I understand, there are only two universities that are trying to change that by trying to build computers now that they do not require so much power. And that's happening, I think, at the MIT and Carnegie Mellon, computer science. But I just wanted to mention that because AI is a polluter and in a big, big, big quantities. So that is a good point. What she was mentioning is, you know, when you have these, so, you know, these developments the past few months started AI, ChatGPT, they're kind of large language models that require a lot of training to go to take place before they're developed. And, and that training data, that training consumes a lot of compute and a lot of energy. Yes. Um, so I would just say the OECD recently had a study on AI compute and the environment trying to, to kind of create a taxonomy and figure out what is the impact, you know, where where is it most impactful and how do you mitigate this? So this is an issue that the OECD and the U.S. government recognize. Um, no, we have to find ways to, to make it more sustainable, uh, make it more environmentally friendly. Um, but that is, is an issue. But at the same time, I think AI can play a role in helping mitigate other parts. Again, when you want to create new, new, um, new products, new, new materials that are less carbon intensive, uh, look for things, you know, search for oil or gas in a more environmentally sustainable way. Um, these make better batteries, uh, AI, and the future that AI can play, play a positive role. But yes, right now it also is playing a potentially a negative role. Um, quick pulse of the audience, people are here, like how many people here have used chat GPT or used generative AI, you know, on a fairly regular basis or at all? Who here has not used chat GPT? Wow. All right, all right, all right. And how many people, so raise your hand if you would say that you are, I'm gonna ask either optimistic or pessimistic about AI. Like, do you see a future where we have autonomous vehicles, we have new drugs, um, you know, life, the human condition, we're able to kind of alleviate a lot of poverty. I will say another part that I, I'm personally kind of optimistic about with AI is kind of mental health and therapy. You know, some people are, are, are reluctant to talk to a therapist or the cost prohibitive. If you have an AI, Again, the issue is, do you, do you trust it? Do you believe it's going to be privacy? Is it going to respect your privacy? It's not going to leak. You're going to be able to talk about it. Um, so do you have that kind of positive vision or a, a, a Terminator 
uh, AI, we're all out of jobs and we're, we're, we're subsumed to our AI overloads. So who here is, is generally optimistic about AI? I'm not a middle option. All right. <laughs> and how about, how about middle? So your last second of the team? And, and negative. That is that is the key, and hopefully you take that out of this is the, you know take that from from my lectures. Uh, it can go either way, and it's, it's how we not just the U.S. or individuals do it, it's how we do it collectively. So that 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 that, that is that, that that is the task before us. If we can collectively make the right decision and it comes together, uh, it can go hopefully positive. Um, so I have a question uh, specifically about bias in AI. Um, just want to know if you had any thoughts on how, like, the partners that you mentioned, um, I don't know, have like an impact on mitigating bias in AI um, without kind of censoring speech, but then also preventing misinformation. Yeah, that is a really good question. We still haven't figured it out yet, right? So bias can be, it is there. Um, it's, I mean, I would say in part, it's making sure you have the right data. You don't want dirty data, because if you have biased data, you have biased outputs. Um, it's also having kind of, you know, certain types of moderation kind of techniques where, where you can filter out bias, uh, having auditing. Uh, so there are both technical and, and, and policy regulations that you can have to minimize that. I'm not sure we can, oh, can completely eliminate it, but this is an issue that, that you know, researchers and technologists are concerned about and are aware of. Um, and it, it is one of the, 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 the potential negative aspects of AI that we have to work on. As long as you've got human nature involved, uh, you're going to have biases. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, if there's no more questions, let's give another hand. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for everybody for joining us today. Uh, if you're interested in any of our other upcoming lectures, making a gift to IWP, or learning more about our graduate programs, uh, please feel free to visit us at iwp.edu or grab a staff member at the conclusion of the event here. And before we go, I would also like to announce our upcoming gala, which is affectionately entitled uh, From IWP with Love, an Evening of Espionage. The event will be hosted on Thursday, October 26th at the International Spy Museum. Tickets are currently available at iwp.edu forward slash events. Again, that's iwp.edu forward slash events. Thank you again, and we hope to see you there.